Hello and good Thursday afternoon to all. It is 3 p.m. Central Daylight Time, and when that's a Tuesday or a Thursday, that typically means it's time for Bill Allen's Facebook studies. However, this coming Tuesday will be the 4th of July, so in honor of Independence Day, I'll not do a Facebook class that day, but I will encourage you, as I will be doing, and do every day, as likely you do, offer up uh, special prayers for our nation and our communities and our world. Uh, remember our leaders, remember this campaign season that's going to only pick up more and more with each passing week and um, and the elections coming up uh, next year. Certainly lots of things going on in our country, lots of things going on in our communities and all around our world. So uh, good thing to uh, pause on Tuesday as we celebrate uh, the wonderful blessing of our Independence Day here in the United States of America and pray for our leaders. Pray for uh, all of those who have a hand in setting uh, the background and the environment that we live in just as uh, Paul told Timothy to do and I'll be mentioning that passage in 1st Peter 2 this or 1st Timothy 2 this Sunday morning during the sermon time and that is to pray for our leaders whether you agree with them or not you can pray for them you can ask for God's will to be done and I think that's what we're all about doing whoever's in office and uh, what a great thing that is what a great blessing it is to be able to pray and I think right now, with the way things are, certainly it's a good time to pray. So I encourage you to do that on Tuesday. And of course, next Thursday, uh, we'll be back online and on Facebook to have another lesson and um, and in this series. On Thursdays, as you know, we are looking at a book by Timothy and Kathy Keller, The Songs of Jesus, looking at the Psalms throughout the year in a daily devotional uh, guiding reading book uh, that uh, goes through the whole Psalms, all 150 of them in 365 days, but looks at them from the perspective of it being the song book and prayer book of Jesus. And so that's why we are doing what we are doing. So hello to my dear friends, Cindy and Eric Mosley. Love seeing your names pop up. Others will be popping up as well, either writing that down or popping up anonymously. And I am perfectly fine with all of the above. I'm just grateful and thankful that you uh, uh, have the opportunity to study from God's word along with me. What a great blessing that is. To me, so where are we? Well, we are in Psalm 54, Psalm, or Psalm 74, rather, Psalm 74. We're halfway through the year, so we better be further than just chapter 50. Um, psalm 74 is is a great psalm, and it's an encouraging psalm. But it doesn't sound that way from the beginning. The um, uh, the background for it seems to be about the time of the Babylonian exile, which happened in three stages, starting in 605 BC or BCE, as you prefer, and then uh, another stage later, and then the final stage in 586 BC, when the Babylonians, uh, the walls were, were breached in Jerusalem, the Babylonian army came in and destroyed the city, destroyed Solomon's grand temple, uh, killed off the current king uh, that was there reigning, that had been a puppet king anyway, but that had decided to rebel and uh, did awfully horrible, cruel things to the Israelites. Uh, after uh, years of warnings from Jeremiah and others that uh, better repent because God's tired of this injustice. He's tired of this immorality. He's tired of this 
uh, uh, idolatry, worshiping things that aren't God as God. God gets tired of those things. It's a lesson and a warning to us today as well, not just in this country, but throughout the world. Um, one day God will pull the plug on the whole thing, and as Christians, we hasten that day and pray, as John did at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. But in the meantime, we know that God loves this world, and so do we. So we try to make it as good as we can, and uh, as much according to the will of God as we can. And that's what we pray when we do things like pray for our leaders. We pray for God's will to be done. We pray that for our family. We pray that for our church. We pray that uh, for our, uh, our nation and our world. So that gets us to Psalm 74. Psalm 74, set in a very disastrous, difficult time in Israel's history, and yet the psalmist meditates on that, thinks about that, prays about that, talks to God honestly about what's going on, and comes away saying, you know, God keeps his covenant. But it doesn't sound that way in verse 1, does it? Psalm 74, starting in verse 1. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? <laughs> I love the honesty of the Psalms. Honest strugglers, honest worshipers. Uh, they constantly prayed and sang and studied and lived and did all of those things, but they did those things authentically. That's a nice 21st century American word, isn't it? And yet that's what the psalmists are. They're very authentic. They, they speak from the heart and they speak honestly and they speak directly to God. And that's the thing. When we're going through troubles, don't let those troubles take you away from God. Uh, let those troubles take you closer to God. Go directly to the source. Go directly to God and say, what's going on? That's what Job was praised for, actually, by God the end of the book of Job, unlike his friends who denied the reality. We don't have to deny the reality of the difficulties that they're facing, but nor should we let that reality and that current situation and circumstance move us away from God. Rather, in Scripture, the faithful uh, men and women of God let those circumstances that were hard that they were going through move them towards God. Even when they weren't very happy with God, uh, they still uh, went to him in prayer and thought and meditated on the great salvation history that God has with his people through some very bleak times he carries them through. And he will do the same for you, my friend. He will do the same for his church. Uh, nations come and go. Leaders come and go. Um, but God's church, God's kingdom, Jesus promised in Matthew 16, the kingdom that he would set up uh, would uh, remain forever. And that's not any particular country that has geographic boundaries. It is the church of Jesus Christ. Psalm 74, verse 1. O oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the tribe of your inheritance, whom you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt, a reference to Jerusalem. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. After the Babylonians had gotten through with it, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary, destroying Solomon's grand temple. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. What a great image. 
They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. How that must have broken the hearts of the Israelites, the ones who were still alive anyway, the ones who hadn't been carried off to Babylon already when they saw the destruction in Jerusalem and the heartless, pagan, selfish, proud, arrogant Babylonians taking their axes and their hatchets to Solomon's beautiful temple, ultimately burning it down. As verse 7 says, they burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. Remember that holy place and then the most holy place where even the, the high priest could only go in and he could only do it once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. The Babylonians just ripped apart that, that curtain, went in and took a hatchet and an axe to everything that was in there and then burned it to the ground. They said in their hearts, verse 8, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. Whew, what a sad and tragic time. And the psalmist pulls no punches. He doesn't pretend that this isn't bad. He doesn't pretend that it didn't, hap that it didn't happen. He acknowledges that it did happen. And he acknowledges the pain, the huge emotional hurt. He surveys the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonian army, these pagan, ruthless Babylonians. God had promised Habakkuk that that's what he was going to do. Habakkuk in chapter 1 in the Old Testament, a contemporary of Jeremiah, goes to God and says, hey, why don't you deal with your people? They're immoral. They're worshiping idols. They're, they're treating each other unjustly. They're doing all these horrible things, and you're just sitting around. And God says, well, Habakkuk, uh, you're right. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm going to bring in the ruthless, pagan, proud, arrogant, selfish Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, no, 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 you can't do that, God. Like you should say that to God. You're, how can a righteous, just God do something that? How can you let a less righteous nation punish and overcome and overtake a more righteous nation? Great point, Habakkuk. But God says, well, Habakkuk, you're never going to understand this. Uh, and that's the first time, as I've said in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, that we read these words, my righteous one will live by faith. Basically, you're just going to have to trust me on this, Habakkuk. Paul would later use that in the book of Galatians. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uses it as well. And uh, we read about that. And we read about that call uh, to trust God even when he can't be understood. That's what Job had to learn, and he did. That's what the psalmist is working on right now. As we go through the psalm, we see that fight. It begins with, God, how can you let this happen? Will you forsake us and, and forget us forever? Have you ever felt that way about God? Well, he's big enough to handle that prayer. If that's how you feel, if you're so uh, despondent over the situation that you're in, tell God. It's, it's okay. He knows your heart anyway. So go ahead and verbalize it. And if you can't think of the words, read Psalms like Psalm 74. It continues on. And, um, and, and we think about these words. Again, the psalmist just saying, how long? How long? Will, have you forgotten about us? Will you forget about us forever? And yet, we know from the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, from the scriptures, that it wasn't completely destroyed. It was certainly devastated. And all of the people weren't killed off. Um, and there was a remnant, some that remained, 
and a, a lot of them were taken to Babylon. Some of them remained in Jerusalem, only the, the, the ones that the Babylonians didn't think they could use in Babylon stayed. But ultimately, um, 70 years after the initial attacks, uh, just as Jeremiah had promised, God brought a new leader to the world, and that was Cyrus. And the Persian Empire overtook the Babylonians, just as the Babylonians had overtaken uh, the Jews and the Syrians and the Assyrians. And Cyrus, king of Persia, said everybody can go back and rebuild in their own land, just as God had promised. The Bible shows us that God did not desert them completely. Felt that way, I'm sure. I know I would have felt that way. But we know that he doesn't do that, and we know that ultimately it's Jesus Christ who uh, suffered for us the way we suffer in this life. And, and we remember his cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That too is a direct quote from the psalm, Psalm 22, verse 1. In that psalm, as we saw a while back earlier this year, the psalmist is suffering horrendously, probably some physical ailments. His friends are around. Other people are around making fun of him, making fun of his God. And God seems to be doing nothing for a while. And then the psalmist acknowledges later in the psalm God's presence and his deliverance. Um, if God is God and he is worthy of my worship, then I will worship him, whatever the current circumstance might be. That takes a lot of faith takes a lot of trust, but you're trusting in your God, not in the way you think God should act, and those are different. If it's the latter that we do, if we're, our faith is only in God as we would think that he should act, then we have set ourselves up to be God. I need a God that's a lot smarter than I am. I need a God that has so much more wisdom than I do, that sees more, that can do more, that knows more. I'm going to trust in that God. Uh, sometimes the bad things happen that God brings good from, and that's Romans 8, 28. It doesn't say that all things work together. It says that God works in all things. It doesn't say that all things that happen to Christians are good. In fact, it, it says the opposite. God works all things together, the good and the bad, for ultimate good for his people who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Let's keep reading from Psalm 74 before I get too deep into Romans. That was Romans 8, by the way. Psalm 74, verse 9. We are given no signs from God. Again, the, the psalmist is, is venting. We are given no signs from God. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will be. Although Jeremiah had said 70 years. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? That's that hand of deliverance, that powerful right hand that God will use to strike Israel's enemies and to deliver them from their foes. Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Verse 12, but this is where you know it's going to turn, right? He's been venting. He's been crying out to God. How long have you forgotten us? Will you forget us forever? But... Psalm 74, verse 12, But God is my king from long ago. 
He brings salvation upon the earth. It was you, God, who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan, that strange uh, sea creature that the Bible refers to in the Old Testament at times, and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. It's interesting how similar this is. I know I keep going back to Brother Job, but I am doing that series on Sunday mornings, and I hope you're listening in on that. You can see those online if you go to our website, westerwin.com, W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N.com, uh, westerwin.com, and uh, scroll over the link that says connect at the top and the, on that tab and then go down to the live streaming page and scroll down a bit till you see the view archives and you can go back and you can find those messages. Sunday mornings I'm going through Job in June and July. And when God finally comes on the scene, that's he says very similar things to what the psalmist says here. He talks about things that Job can't understand. The psalmist can't understand it. But what he does know is that God did it. And that's what Job gets to hear from God himself. And basically, God is saying, Job, there's a lot about being God you don't understand. And the psalmist is acknowledging that same thing. It's God who is this great power, has this great wisdom that's far beyond human comprehension. And so as the psalmist has continued, remember, he goes directly to God and events to God in prayer. And now he's going to resign. He's going to remind himself of the great things that God has done. The salvation history, we call it. The times when God was there for his people, when he delivered them. And the psalmist brings up creation and he brings up the deliverance through Moses. And the psalmist sees that God is faithful to his promises and he's faithful to his covenant. The psalmist doesn't passively resign himself to the way things are. But he also doesn't angrily turn against God and blame God for everything, assuming the psalmist himself knows better than the Lord of the universe. Good thing we don't ever do that, right? <laughs> we cry out some of the same words to God, except that's where it ends. And it doesn't come back to that point where we acknowledge the things that God has done throughout history that are far greater than what we could do, that are far deeper than what we could understand. The psalmist expresses his sorrows and complaints, true, but he always directs them toward God. And that's the difference. He's saying, and this is what the disciples said in John 6, and the Kellers bring that out. Remember that hard sermon that Jesus preached in John 6? Yet John's communion meditation, his last supper meditation, if you will, uh, where Jesus is talking to the people, and including the rulers and leaders of the Jews, and he tells them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You have no part in it. Well, everybody leaves. He has this big crowd, and then he chases them away. Jesus has a tendency to do that. Have you noticed that? What Bill wants to do, what we typically want to do in today's church, is say things that will help draw the crowd. <laughs> Good luck finding that in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus says things that 
that causes them to file away. And they all leave him except his apostles. And then he looks at them in John 6 and he says, you guys going to leave too? At the end of that long chapter. And Peter, he doesn't always have it on target, but he does this time. He says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe and are certain that you are the Holy One of God. Um, and, and that, I think, is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, hey, there's a lot of things that are going on right now that I don't get and that I hate, actually, and that I can't understand, God, why you're letting it go. But, but I know that you remember your promises. I know that you keep your covenant. I've seen it in the past in creation. I've seen it in the way you have delivered your people uh, through the centuries. And... And if I turned away from you, God, where would I go? Where would I go? What a great thing for us to remember when we're in that same place. Psalm 74, verse 18. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. What a great image again. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Psalmists and others throughout the Bible and throughout time who were just and who were being treated unjustly and punished unfairly, taken advantage of, uh, oppressed. They cry out to God for deliverance. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's crying out to God for deliverance from oppressors, from men who only trusted in themselves and in their bows and in their axes and in their hatchets. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Verse 20, have regard for your covenant. What a great request. The, the psalmist, like we see many times in Scripture, it's not like God has forgotten his covenant. It's that the psalmist is reminding God, but really also reminding himself that God has made a covenant with his people, and he will keep his end of that covenant. Again, verse 20 of Psalm 74, have regard for your covenant because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. The psalmist calls on God to do something because he knows he can't fix this. Only God can. And if you're in that low of a place, if you're feeling that same fear, that same anxiety, that same insecurity, that same confusion, that same anger, realize that you can't fix it either, but God can. That doesn't mean that you can sit on your hands and wait for him to act there are some things that you can do, but ultimately, where is your trust? I hope it's in God. And I hope that it's strong enough that you can do what the psalmist does here in Psalm 74. Rant and rave at God and vent all you want. He's big enough to take it. He can handle it. But then let that be a time where you remind yourself that that's what prayer is. It's going directly to God talking to God about the things that don't make sense to you, about the hurts, about the injustice, about the questions and the doubts, but also talking to God about those things, not turning away from him. 
reminding yourself. That's what meditation is. It reminds us. It's a time for us to think back and consider and reflect on how God has always been faithful to his promises. He's always been faithful to his covenant. And he's made that covenant with you. If you're a part of his church, he's made that covenant with you. And that covenant says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus promised at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, after he gave that great commission, he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. In the end, the psalmist rests in the knowledge that God will not forget his covenant. And he knows that. God has upheld his covenant throughout time. And he is continuing to do that, except now it's a new covenant. In our Bible classes, in many of our Bible classes here at West Irwin Church of Christ, this coming Sunday, we start a few lessons from the book of Hebrews, and I love that book so much. Jesus is better. The new covenant is better, has a better priest, better savior, better sacrifice, better promises. Jesus has upheld the covenant of God, and it took his ultimate sacrifice uh, to do it. And now we're a part of his body, the church, just as we are living stones, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, being built up into that holy priesthood, that royal, holy temple of God. We have that promise from God that says, I will be there for you no matter what. I will never leave you nor forsake you. may look like I have. You may even feel like he has, but he hasn't. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the great witness to that. Jesus made sure, made sure, that he felt forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken. Let's pray. Lord, um, there's a lot going on in this world that's confusing to us. There's a lot going on in this world that's bad, that's evil, that's dangerous and hurtful to innocent people, your children, our children. Um, your, your church throughout the world. There are plenty of great concerns we have, Father, for our nation. And as we look ahead to the 4th of July and Independence Day, we pray that you would not give up on our nation, that you would not give up on the United States of America. And we ask, Father, that, that you would help us to be a part of bringing people back to you first, because we know that that's the only cure for the things that are going on. Uh, that we see in our world today that are evil. Help us, Father, to be that witness. Help us, Father, to have the assurance that we need, no matter how difficult things look out here, no matter how rough the circumstances, how confusing it might be that you seem to be just letting it all go. Help us, Father, to remember your great history. Help us to remember how you've always been there for your people. Help us to remember, Father, to pray the same prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the same prayer that Jesus himself, your son, prayed in the garden that fateful night. Father, may your will be done. And may that will be done in our world, in our country. May that will be done in our communities, Father. May that will be done in our churches. Father, may that will be done in my life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I look forward to being with you and to seeing you again. Uh, not on Tuesday. That's when we pray again. 
but on Thursday. Hopefully I'll see you on Sunday as well, either in person or online. I pray that God will bless you and that he will come and be a presence through all the things that are concerns and burdens in your heart today. God bless.